Hi, and welcome to Be More Super, the podcast. I'm your host, Brian. And this week, we've got a little interview by an 80s iconic film star, Mr. Steve Guttenberg. Yes, good old star of Three Men and a Baby, Police Academy, Short Circuit, Cocoon, and many others. So this is part one of the interview, and then we're going to catch up with him in a few weeks' time because he had only a limited amount of time to chat to us um, for the episode. So have a listen, like, subscribe, and share, and that way you won't miss out on part two. And of course, this episode is brought to you by the lovely people at Prop Store of London. So check out their website, propstore.com. So sit back, relax and enjoy part one of the interview with the iconic actor, Steve Guttenberg. Welcome to Be More Super, the podcast. Up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. An action-packed podcast where we'll discuss all things entertainment. You're the answer to are we alone in the universe? Conventions, prop collecting, cosplay, interviews, reviews, and so much more. The show starts with host Brian Gardner right now. So on this week's episode, um, I'm delighted to say we've got an icon of the 80s. Um, I grew up watching the majority of films that this man has appeared in and has influenced uh, my childhood as many as as well as many others um it's of course steve gutenberg welcome to the show sir thanks so much brian i appreciate you inviting me it's a pleasure and how are you how are you filling your time in lockdown at the moment in in california you know my wife and i are actually pretty good here um we're lucky we we have a roof over our head. We have food in the refrigerator. We have the, the telephone. We have FaceTime. And um, it's uh, we live uh, outside of the city of L.A., um, not far from the beach. So we can walk around our neighborhood. We've, we've got it better than most. Yeah. Um, but it's a worrisome time. And, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm absolutely not sleeping well lately. I think that... You know, I watched the news for a long for for the last month, probably four or five hours a day. I've had it on, and I've come to the conclusion now that it's sort of the same news every day. Yeah, and um, so I've tried to wean myself off the off the news because it's it's uh, I think it's, it's had an effect on me. It definitely so. gets you down. I mean, I've noticed that every day. You know, it's it's just bad news all the time. And yeah, as you said, it affects your sleep. Uh, my wife works on the front line, so so do I. Um, so we're seeing it every single day. And obviously for our kids, it's, it's not great to have the news on. We try and uh, try and shield them from the, the effect. Um, but going forwards, you know, the generations that we've got now, all, all the kids, you know, it's going to affect them in the future. And we've just got to be strong. We're all in this together. What what do you and your wife do on the front line? So so my wife is a nurse, and um, I'm a manager in a um, big supermarket. So I'm literally surrounded by thousands of people yeah. that that just don't get social distancing, that don't uh-huh. get um, you know we're trying to restrict them to one person per per household per trolley, and they're just not get 
getting it at all. And it's shocking and very, <laughs> very frustrating, to be fair, because the cure is within ourselves. You know, if we social distance, if we clean our hands, if we respect each other, you know, this virus, you know, will will die die away. It's down, you know, it's in our hands, basically. I'm surprised too. I have some friends who are getting together with other friends. Yeah. And I can't believe they're doing it. I know. Um, and, and, you know, you see, and here in California, a couple of, about a week ago, the beaches were packed. Yeah. And I, you know, we're, we all know the rules. You know, it's sort of like a stop sign. You know, you drive and you have to stop at a stop sign. Yep. Now, there are, are those people who say, well, if there's nobody around, I'm not going to stop at the stop sign. So there are the same people that say, well, you know, I'm okay. I'm not going to touch anybody. and You know, I, I can go to the beach. I can, I can get together with my friends. I know them. They know me. But these are the rules. Yeah. Why wouldn't you just follow the rules? To help us all, even if even the chances of every anybody getting the virus are small. Yeah. But somebody's going to get it. So why not follow the rules? So uh, I see, you know, I, I, I know when you see people, I'm sure, with the trolley in the grocery store, uh, you say and they're and they're congregating or there's more than one person. Why are you breaking the rules? You know, this is serious. Yeah. And what gets, gets me is the parents that bring the kids out and it's like a family outing. And my yeah. my small girls, they haven't been out shopping. They've been out for their exercise once a day. All the schools are closed, so they're climbing the walls at the moment. Um, but it's shocking. But you know what? This op- opportunity to interview yourself uh, gives a bit of uh, escape for people, I think. Um, and enjoy your career, because what a career you've had. Um, and let's let's get to know Steve a bit better. So you were born in Brooklyn, New York. Um what was it like growing up in New York as 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 a kid? Because it's such a cool place. Um, the greatest was it? The greatest, the greatest. New York people are much, very much like Londoners. You know, we're city people. We're used to being around others, so you're used to people are used to engaging, uh, talking. Um, you know, you go into the apartment house and you smell. Everybody cooking at dinner time. Um, you know your neighbors. You know you call your neighbors aunt and uncle if they live next door. Um, I miss New York very much. I miss the humidity. I miss those summer nights. I miss the winter. I'm an extreme heat and extreme cold guy, so I, I don't mind the cold. Um, we moved out here. Because my parents moved to Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah. So we moved from New York to, to be closer to them. We weren't ready to move to Phoenix yet. But uh, growing up in New York, you uh, it's a tough place. So you have a tougher exterior. You're used to looking both ways, you know, and, and, and noticing that person over there looks strange. Stay away from him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So exactly and like London, then. <laughs> it, it's it's exactly like London, and um, you know, you know, I, I think it was, I think it was Stella Adler who said, "Culture grows in the city, spirituality grows in the desert." Okay. So when you live in the city, 
you know, you can walk down one block, whether it's, you know, inside the city or a little outside the city, and you see there's a billboard for My Fair Lady, just like in London, and there's three newspapers, and you see the headlines, and somebody walks by speaking French, and someone's walking by with a pizza, and, and there's a Chinese restaurant, and there's a Indian restaurant, and in one block, you're entertained. You're, 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 you have thought going on. Um, and uh, whereas in the suburbs or, you know, the, the farmland, you know, you don't see that sort of um, uh, um, delight in, your, in, in front of you. So I, uh, I, I love, we live outside Los Angeles and it's quite beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I've got, I've, I've, I've got to say, New York, you know, people say it's, it's very much like London, where people keep keep themselves to themselves. But they're one of the friend friendliest people, New Yorkers. They really, really are. I mean, I've got a friend that's in the Port Authority Police out there, and uh, I went to an apartment party once, and this was just post nine nine eleven, and um, you know, everyone's spirit was just absolutely just infectious and i've got to say it's definitely you know a place i'd love love to go back to i've been there quite a few few times um you brought out a book in 2012 called the gutenberg bible which was a memoir of your career what what was it like writing a book about yourself it was painful at times you know um lots of my memories were you know, I, I, I left my home and I went out to California, which most actors do. They, you know, they grow up in another, most, very few actors grow up in L.A. or California. If you're lucky to, great. But lots of us come from other places. So you leave your family. You come out here to this, you know, L.A. is a great town. Like any city, they're all great. Yeah. But every city has its joke, right? New York is, you know. Are you allowed to curse on this? Of course um, you can. Of course you can. You could do whatever uh, you want, Steve. Okay. Um, you know, in New York, you go, how you doing? He goes, what the fuck is it for you? You know, you have a fucking problem with it? Yeah. You know, and in LA, you know, you could say to somebody, I'm on fire, I'm on fire. And they'll say, and how does that pertain to me? <laughs> uh, you know, LA can be a plastic place. Yeah. And people are surprised. When you knock on their door just to say hi, um, you know, whereas in London or New York, you knock on their door, they go, oh, man, I'm so glad you came by. I was just brushing my teeth. You know, come in. I'll put on a, a pot of tea. Yeah. Um, same in New York. Uh, but uh, I, I found L.A. to be – it's been very good to me, and it's made my life, my family's life, my friend's life life's um extraordinary because we've been able to share the best thing about being famous is sharing it and um, you know la gave me great opportunities for my family and my friends to share in incredible experiences um and i had a lot of fun here you know as a young single guy um i got my first job at 17 and i got my first starring role at 20 in uh, Can't Stop the Music with the Village People. Yeah. So, you know, if you're famous, 
you know, things are a lot easier. Everything's a lot easier. So I had a pretty good time, you know. I mean, looking at your book, um, you know, there's there's a bit in that book that I'm quite amazed at because looking at the work that you've done, um, apparently you had an agent, um, and this, I suppose, shows how cruel the ind- industry can be. The agent apparently said, forget being an actor. You don't have the look, you don't have the talent, and your name is ridiculous. How did that make you feel, and what did you do afterwards? I mean, that's a bit harsh. You know, it's funny. I was 17 when he said that to me. Yeah. Uh, and Gesundheit. And, um And I didn't hear a word. You know, when you believe in yourself and somebody says something disparaging about you, you just know they're wrong, yeah. you know. Um, you know, he 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 was oh, he was right to say I don't have the look, uh, I don't have the name, uh, I don't have the talent. But you know, you can acquire all those things by if you wanted to change your name, you can learn how to act, and you can, you know, you can diet and work out and you know make sure that you look great um and you know uh, michael kane said something i thought really terrific he said he said you know you might say i'm untalented but i am a skilled professional actor yeah so it doesn't matter what you think of my talents i am a skilled professional so you know, I knew that I was I was studying. I was doing my best to be a, a, a smart actor. I was reading a lot. So when that that agent told me that, I left his office, and his opinion means nothing. And that's the great thing about life. Nobody's opinion means anything other than you. It, it's it's really terrific to know that, and then someone says, oh. You know, I don't think you'll be able to win that race or run that race or take that shot or do that monologue or perform that operation as a surgeon or get into medical school or create a podcast. It doesn't matter what they say. It matters what you say. And I've always lived under that uh, umbrella. And, you know, every day there are doubters, there are haters. Uh, you know, on my Twitter page, there's always somebody coming up and going, you are one no talent bum, and I say, you know, you know, he might be right, but I've made a living out of it, and um, and I'm a good person, and I'm a skilled professional. So you know, there are people who don't like Van Gogh. There are people who don't like Picasso. I'm not saying I'm Van Gogh or Picasso, but there, are, you know, there are people who don't like Olivier, yeah. who don't like Colonel Coleman. Who don't like Kenneth Branagh? Well, they're allowed to think that, but you can't get around that those are skilled professionals. Exactly. So. I mean, did you ever get a chance to see that agent again later down the line? No. <laughs> I never saw him again, but I did see another agent who represented me and half-assed half represented me. And many years later, I saw him at a party. And he came up to me and he said, hey, and it, and it was, I, I, I sort of made it. And he said to me, uh, he said, hey, man, I'm sorry that, you know, I, I didn't see who you were. And I said, you can't blame yourself. You know, some uh, 
Frank Price, who was a great, great studio executive, was at Columbia at the time. And Steven Spielberg brought him E.T. And he turned it down. And he was also responsible for Tootsie and Out of Africa and great movies. But sometimes, you know, you, you taste the coffee and you go, this is terrible coffee. And then somebody else tastes it and goes, I'm going to name this coffee Starbucks. And, right? I mean, there's a great story. I think it's called The Number 43 where Howard Schultz, I think, the owner of Starbucks, said he had to go to 43 venture capitalists to get somebody to invest in Starbucks. You know, everybody's got that story, whether it's Hewlett Packard, whether it's, you know, Brad Pitt, whether it's, you know, Steven Spielberg. There's always people who say, nah, uh, you know, there's a great story about Fred Astaire. Fred Astaire had a beautiful mansion in Beverly Hills. And on the mantle of his fireplace was a small card, which was a casting card when he first started. Casting director met him and wrote on the card what she or he thought of Fred Astaire. Said, too skinny bald, can dance a little, and can sing a little, can't act. And Fred Astaire had that on his mantle. Wow. And, you know, that's how we obviously set his table with his talent. So <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a, you know, with art, it's a matter of believing in yourself and working hard and getting breaks. You know, I think a lot of it is luck. Yeah. There are so many great people who do podcasts who can't get a, a great guest. Yeah. There are so many actors in the world, great actors who can run circles around anybody working today, but just can't get a break. You yeah. Know? No, of course. And that's that's why it's fantastic that you've come onto the show because, um, you know, out of all the movies that you've done, um, you know, Police Academy is is probably one of the most iconic ones. For the audition, um, I heard that you wore your dad's shirt because your dad was a police officer. Is that correct? Yeah, my dad was a police officer, NYPD, at the 103 in Jamaica, Queens. And uh, he went to the police academy, the New York City Police Academy. Excellent. And... Um, I had an audition and I was in New York and the audition was coming up and he said, take my police academy shirt and wear it maybe for luck. And it was very lucky for me. And what, and what did you have, have to do for the, for the audition? Was it just the, you know, you just had some sides that you had to read or, or yeah. what was the process? Yeah. You know, I, I, the first audition I got there and uh, auditioned for Hugh Wilson, the director and Paul Maslansky, the producer. And, um, I did a good enough job that they put me up for a screen test. And it was between me and a terrific actor, David, uh, who, do you remember the Dr. Pepper commercials? 
Um, I'm not sure if you would get them in the UK. Um, oh. David, he was just a great actor. Yeah, he was very. Famous. He was in Werewolf of London. Okay, yeah. David, I'm sure someone, one of your audience members, will know. And he was a great actor, and he still is a great actor. And it was between him and me. And the story goes that Jay Cantor, who was one of the executives at Lad Company Warner Brothers. They couldn't decide between the two of us. And um, Dave and, and Jay stood up and said, I want the Jew. <laughs> and, um, you know, maybe because of my Hebrew blood, I got the part. Oh, that's, that's amazing. I mean, what's your fondest memory of working on the movie? Because it's just, I mean, going over the four that you, that you were in, I mean, it's just full of, of, of one-liners, it's full of comedy, great storylines, excellent arcs. What's your fondest memory of, of, of Police Academy as a whole? Listening to the director. Yeah. The director, Hugh Wilson, who created WKRP in Cincinnati. It was a television series. Yeah, he created a really good writer. He was also in advertising before that. Came from Atlanta. And Hugh talked like this, and he had a big set of teeth, and just was funny as hell, and just really smart. And he knew the classic principles of comedy. Yeah. You know, um, many years ago, uh, I remember someone talking about comedy, and they said, someone said, uh, you're old school. He said, no, no. Old school means built on principles that work. Same with architecture, music. Uh, everything has principles. So I would just listen to Hugh Wilson, and he would tell me how to make this moment funny. He would say, let's say the line is, how are you, Brian? So I would say, how are you, Brian? He'd go, no, that's not funny. I'll tell you what's funny. How are you, Brian? That's funny. <laughs> yeah. How are you, how are you doing, Brian? That's not funny. How are you, Brian? That's funny. And and the whole picture was like that. He showed me how to run. He showed me how to deliver a line. And I was always great at comedy. But this was another education. And I luckily, you know, was was learning, you know, uh, on a on a hit cricket team, you know, on a on a on a, on a cricket team that was going to win the Super Bowl. So. Uh, I got very, very fortunate to, to be on that picture. And, you know, it changed my life. You know, you know, uh, it was such a worldwide hit. Um, I traveled the world and, you know, wherever I go on the planet, I'm recognized. My family was treated differently. My mother tells a great story. She said she went to the gynecologist about two weeks after the movie opened up. Yeah. And, uh, she was being examined and uh, the doctor and the nurse were there and she knew the doctor and as she was being examined she said he said Anne is your son Steve Gutenberg the actor and she said yeah he goes police academy Steve Gutenberg and she said yeah and he said oh and he's examining her and says so that's where Steve Gutenberg came from. <laughs> oh, no. And, uh, you know, everybody in my family got treated special. 
Uh, you know, when you get that kind of fame, it's terrific for everybody. You know, you, you get your parents get the best tables at the restaurant. And yeah. You get all the free clothing and free everything, trips, places. And wow. It really changed my life. So Police Academy was one of the movies that really changed my changed my zip code, you know? It really changed a friend of mine as well. I've got a friend uh, called Chalky. His name's Chalky, and um, when I told him that I was interviewing you, he went crazy, to be fair, uh, and he wanted me to uh, tell you something. I've got it written down here because he posted it. He said, Mahoney's sto- story arc in particular means so much to me and my childhood. The song, I'm Gonna Be Somebody, that plays after the graduation parade at the end of Police Academy 1, makes me cry every time without fail in a positive way, uh, as the lyrics are like the culmination of Mahoney's journey and the story arc to me, and it really gets me in the feels. Uh, A true um, redemption story that spoke to me as a child and in the 80s. Um, But he wanted to know, the question was... um, is there a movie or a character in a movie that inspired you as a child? Well, there, there were there were two. The Graduate, which was one of my favorite movies of all time. Awesome movie. And um, The Great Escape with Steve McQueen. Yeah. James Garner. Um, and um, Day for Night with Truffaut. Yeah. Um, just... Two brilliant, you know, three brilliant movies that really moved me. Hey, Chalky, thanks so much for the compliment. Uh, I love your name. That is a really cool name. You must be a very tough guy. (laughs) Cheers, Steve. I'll edit that and I'll send it to him and it will make his day. So going from Police Academy, uh, another iconic film is Cocoon. Um, What a movie. And sadly, we lost Brian uh, a week and a half ago. Uh, who starred in the mo- movie with you? Um, I read that you was very eager to work on that movie because of Ron Howard. Um, is that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ron coming off of Splash, and uh, I also saw um, Grand Theft Auto, which was one of his first movie, maybe his first movie. Yeah, and he was just a talented guy, and it was Ron Howard, the actor, and I, I, I just knew. I just got a feeling that he was really talented. So I, uh, I lobbied hard to get on that movie. It was me and Nick Nolte. Really? Nick Nolte? Wow. <laughs> Thank yeah. goodness they chose you. <laughs> Thank you so much for the interview. Uh, it's been an ap- absolute pleasure. Um, look after yourself. Keep safe. Um, and um, I look forward to everything that you do in the future. Thanks so much. And you know what, Brian, I've really enjoyed this. If you'd like to do it again, you know, we could do it in a, a month or so. Brilliant. Thank you, Steve. Look after yourself. You too. Bye See you then. Bye bye. You've been listening to Be More Super the Podcast. It was kind of a crazy fun experience. I love the show, guys. You're awesome. Listen, my whole family loves it, man. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit the subscribe button and share it with your super friends. In my world, it means hope.